Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast as we close in on Christmas and Christmas Eve. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020, joining me for the seasonal holidays my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, tis the season, although you wouldn't know that it's the season looking at the rain and the coolness outside. Well, mate, I think it's appropriate then for me to say happy gravy day. Because if, you, if you're talking about gravy weather, this is probably gravy weather. <laughs> and it is, it, it is uh, now becoming more of an Australian tradition for the 21st of December to be gravy day. We've had the Paul Kelly's How to Make Gravy playing on the radio and all the stations today. So, fellas, happy gravy day. Mm-mm. Clint, what about you, well, How you mate? Well, we, we were talking in the green room about um, some of our Christmas cuisines coming up and, you know, on, on the weather and, and mentioning that, I've now actually got a taste for fish and chips in my mouth. I've, 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 got, I've got this desire to have some uh, chips doused in, in chicken salt and some deep-fried um, fish which I didn't think I'd say, uh, the words I'd be saying today because I'm not much of a seafood eater at the best of times. <laughs> well, it, it's the weather for it. It's the weather for it. <laughs> it is. Now, before we go on, uh, I just want to do a special shout-out to our good mate Rob Trousereel, as he's also known on some social media. He's had a bit of an operation this week. Now, given his nickname of Trousereel, he's probably going to go around and say to people that he's had some sort of reduction surgery. I won't go <laughs> too much to that, as we are a family-friendly show. That might be the yarn that he spins. But, Rob, if you're listening to this, and I know you do listen to the podcast, uh, especially as you were involved with the podcast in our early days as um, our Phantom Tigers supporter. He's not a Tigers supporter, but he voiced the Tigers supporter. Uh, Rob, hope you're feeling better after the op and that uh, you have a, a great Christmas and New Year. And uh, and also a shout out to all our listeners there. This is our Christmas episode of the news podcast. So wishing all of our listeners uh, the great time over the holidays, a great Christmas, great New Year, and uh, really enjoy it and treasure your family. Yeah, well said, 60s. And before we get into the news, as always, a quick shout out to the sponsors of the show. Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn and Rowan and Parramatta helped us go through another fantastic year, at least for the podcast. I know the Eels could have done a little bit better, but they've been incredible partners for TCT and the tip sheet. So big shout out to them. Now let's get into it. News team, assemble! Well, fellas, in keeping with the holiday theme, the Christmas break starts after today for our Parramatta Reels. It's their last day of training before Christmas today. It was a big field session yesterday. Uh, this moron that's talking right now stood there in the rain watching the field session yesterday. Uh, as I was standing there, 
chilled to the bone and struggling <laughs> to come to terms with what training had been like in the heat in the previous weeks, then trying to work out in my head what was worse, standing there in the stifling heat and sweating like a pig or to be drenched to the bone with the wind blowing as cold as it was yesterday as well. It just it just seemed to me like, you know, it, am I thinking straight? Obviously, I'm not in being there in those conditions. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a fairly strong on um, conditioning sort of field session yesterday. It was also really strong on conditioning because it was a, a real mix of activities that and the, the pace of the session was what it seemed to be all about. I will be writing a training report on that. I'm not sure if I'll be able to get that up today. I'll work hard to get that up today. But, yeah, the uh, the Christmas break for them starts. They're back at training on the 8th of January. Now, fellas, also, I just wanted to mention as well that I had the opportunity to have a, a few words to Morgan Harper because as I was leaving training on Monday, I think it was, he was on his way uh, out to the car park and uh, gave us a chance to welcome him uh, personally to the club. And I said to him, how are you enjoying it at the moment, mate? And he, he just went, mate, I am absolutely loving it here. Um, he was rattling off about the facilities, about the staff, about his, his teammates, and then also that he's a lot closer to home with where he is now at Parramatta rather than being over there at North uh, at, at uh, on the Northern Beaches. And uh, I said to him that I really enjoyed the media that was done about him with his son being uh, a full-on Eels supporter. And he goes, it's true. He said, I don't know where it came from. He said, but, yeah, he's, he's a really big Eels supporter. So, um, yeah, I really appreciated the time that Morgan gave us uh, after training on Monday. And, um, yeah, he's in a battle now with um, Bailey Simonson for a centre spot in for round one. It'll be interesting to see which way that goes. Um, now, uh, fellas, junior reps, they had the first of their trials last Saturday uh, down around Camden Way. I believe that... It was a pretty good hit out for all of the teams. I'm going to try to watch the video on all the matches and put up a report on TCT for how things went. But um, Clint, have you had any feedback at all about the about the day of trials? Well, um, apart from Dad coming back with um, a bit of a pink tinge in his complexion after the very very hot day it was down there in um, in Camden. Um, the, the Mats team was um, they, 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 they were pretty pleased with the hit out. I think you know, it was a high um, scoring, um, high try scoring affair. Obviously, in these trials, they don't really bother with conversions because it's about getting as many minutes of gameplay in as possible. I yeah. think I think our boys came up uh, in the Mats six tries to five or six tries to four um, of of memory. Um, so you know they they got a pretty they felt they got a pretty good indication of um, of how the squad. Is and um, you know, they've got a cut to make as well um, to 
refine the squad. And I think they, they felt as though they got enough good feedback to make those decisions. Yeah, and it's always interesting, isn't it, Forty, when you when you watch these trials when they've got so many players that they want to give a bit of game time to, you don't really get the continuity mm-hmm. from a normal match. You know, players are on and off, um, or if they if they play it in thirds as they often do with matches at this time, you've got almost an entire team might change over at one of the breaks, so you can get entire momentum swings that happen so I guess these are trials as much for the players that they really are for the coaches and less so for the spectators <laughs> with with these sorts of early trials yeah those rosters are subject to massive volatility inside the course of a single game aren't they so it, it becomes an interesting sort of game within a game because you've got guys trying to play as a team without necessarily being training like a team while also trying to stand out individually but not be too selfish it, it's a Tricky little formula, isn't it, with the coaches trying to evaluate all that? And look, it, it's certainly in the trials we've seen, we haven't seen any ball hogs or whatnot, you know, trying to take all the glory. We, we generally see pretty good team play, and it's good to see that the uh, Harold Matt started on a positive note. Yeah, having spoken in the past to Joey Grimer, they, the coaches have little things that they look for that uh, where players take the team option rather than the the personal option, or you see certain things that are effort plays that uh, that are made. And mm-hmm. if coaches know what they're looking for in the players, they've seen them at training, they've got a bit of a sense of their idiosyncrasies, their personalities, their, I guess, their mindset when it comes to being in a team. And this these trials go towards confirming their opinions that they've had through not just through training, but also a lot of these boys have been in development squads as well in the lead up to this. So they've got a they've got a genuine sense of what these players are like. So there'll be a couple more trials, which will I would imagine would be down to the uh, trimmed squads in uh, January before the season uh, kicks off in February, early February. So um, yeah, now moving on. Uh, fellas, had you read much about this great Aussie boot swap? It seems like a good idea. Yeah, I saw the uh, the press release, well, I believe it came out yesterday, um, and it seems like a pretty good, pretty good concept. I mean, it's literally recycling in the uh, the, the positive way, right? Giving uh, mm. used playing boots, but like obviously not broken, but used playing boots in a chance to find a new home for them uh, for people that need some kit. And I guess the thing is too, because this is focused on juniors, Kids outgrow their very shoe size very quickly, very, very rapidly. Especially and the, the units that you see in the game these days, far out. Yeah, so given that, you know, you're going to see boots that maybe have a life that extends beyond one season is a good thing. It makes it more cost-effective for parents to be able to get decent second-hand boots for their kids to uh, upgrade to. So if they need a larger size, rather than going out and having to spend a fortune on brand new boots, and it's not that there won't be kids that are kitted out in brand new boots each season, but it just gives an option and an organised mm. option for secondhand boots. So for those that aren't aware, the event itself will take place on the 25th of January at Paraleagues, but up until that time, 
people can also donate boots if they don't want to swap or they just want to donate in the time up to that they can drop off the boots at dedicated bins that are at Parramatta Leagues Club Viking Leagues Club uh, sorry Vikings Club and also Dural Country Club and on top of that there's the boot bins at the Kellyville HQ for the Eels so uh, good initiative there mm. Fellas, just to wrap up the Parramatta side of the news, I'm going to have a crack again at predicting around one team for, oh. the, for the NRL and for the New South Wales Cup in a post on TCT. I'm not going to give too much away, but I'm after your early calls on a couple of key selections first of all i and i know that you haven't been lse training and you only got my reports to go off but your gut instinct who's going to get the center position bailey simonson or morgan harper i'll throw it to you first clint um well it's bailey's to lose going into the preseason and you know, um, I, I think he had some quite good games there throughout season 2023. Um, also with a couple of performances that were, um, I'll, I'll call it lukewarm. Um, you know, so he hasn't absolutely nailed down that position. You touched before in your interactions with Morgan Harper. Obviously, he and um, uh, Morgan are in that battle. I'm going to edge it slightly to Bailey at this point, um, simply because he's the incumbent and... Um, one thing Bailey is is an athlete, and you know that in preseason he'll be doing all the physical um, um, extras to put himself in the position for it. You know where where, where we really need to see him develop um, more is his um is probably his game awareness and positioning, which comes with a little bit more familiarity in um in playing in in, in the position and in the top grade. And I think he's going to be given first opportunity to do that. But you know if he if if there isn't, uh, I guess. Um, improvement from the base that he established in 2023. Um, Morgan Harper will, will, will be chomping at the bit to take it. Yeah, John? Yeah, I, I think incumbency is probably going to see the day through for Bailey Simonson, at least on opening day in round mm. one. Um, but I think the, the back line is definitely subject to some tweaking in general. Uh, I think Will Penasini will have that right centre spot on lockdown, and I believe Mike Acevo will start at left wing. But after that, I think it is a little bit hazy in the other positions. You know, you've got the other wing spot alongside uh, uh, Will there where you've got a few contenders sort of uh, pushing around. And I suppose you can probably put Simonson in that conversation too if Morgan Harper is really strong in, in the preseason and makes a claim for the left-centre spot, then, you know, does uh, Simonson factor in on the opposite wing? I don't know. So I, I think Bailey probably starts right now will be starting at centre. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Yep, okay. Now, the next call is, it looks like Joey Lussick will probably be the starting dummy half. So do you think BA will go with Brendan Hands on the bench, given that he can handle a number of positions, or will he go with four forwards? Clint? Oof. Well, if history is anything to go by, 
And granted, there has been periods throughout um, BA's coaching tenure that he has had a hooker on the bench. He has generally favoured an 80-minute hooker over a, over the use of a um, of a tag team rotation. So, and particularly earlier in the season, it's normally it's normally um, you know after a few rounds, you know, somewhere between rounds four and ten, that he go if he sees a little bit of fatigue in his dummy half, he goes, "All right, maybe I do need to have a second option on the bench." I'm going to tip he's going to start the season with four forwards, and I'm going to tip that on the basis of. Um, some of your detective work um, done thus far, 60s, in that both Luca Moretti and Kelma Tuolangi are pushing very hard for um, first grade bursts. And I, I, I can absolutely see two, the two of them um, being in the mix for bench spots and maybe at um, uh, ahead of Brendan Hands being used as that, um, that bench hooker, bench utility option. Okay, John, what do you think? This is a tricky question as well because we've got so many big-minute forwards and we've spoken about this in the past that trying to condense uh, their playing time into a rotation is very difficult when you've got just free forwards on the interchange. Uh, So, you know, you'd think we're we're built pretty strongly to have that utility role uh, almost on lockdown there. But in saying that, we did finish the season with four forwards on the interchange. Uh, We remember getting a start in this particular team against the Panthers, but... On the, on the rotation, you had Junior, Hopgood, Moretti, and Lane. And now you're throwing in a Kelmator Lung into the mix too. So uh, I think Quinn might be onto something here in that we, we certainly do have the signs pointing towards a potential four-man forward rotation on the interchange. But it is very difficult in the modern game to go past that utility. Mm. Uh, we, we just see that uh, attrition and injury are such a common factor now, even from round one. Uh, when you know whether it's concussion, concussion or, as well, or, yeah. And I suppose with the concussion, you could argue that I mean, in that game, Brendan Hands was the concussion substitute, so you can put the utility into that role if something does go wrong. I suppose, uh, but it is always nice to have that Swiss Army knife available uh, in the actual team list itself. So, yeah, I, I don't know. This is this is another coin toss for me. Um, I could definitely see us rolling with the four forwards. Uh, if I just quickly pull up. Uh, it's the Bulldogs round one, so that that doesn't help, I don't think. Uh, it doesn't really make it clear whether you want to roll four forwards or that uh, utility. If it was our round two matchup, which is up against Penrith, I, I could definitely see the four forwards being a factor in that game. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I think Clint might be right, but I, I will err towards maybe a bench utility uh, just for the fact that it, it is such a valuable position in the modern game. Okay. Um, now... Moving on, I think we're just about ready for our intermission break. You've got to have something special for us this week, mate. Yeah, sometimes you don't need to overthink it, and you know, like I said, tis the season, so uh, let's not let's not go too hard in, in going down the depths of the internet and uh, keep it simple. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Prospero año y felicidad. Well, it, yeah, yeah, it's uh, that time of year, so it's no real surprise that you've gone down the Christmas path there, mate. Uh, thank you for that, and I'm looking that, forward that, to. Yeah, sorry, Clint. Oh, I was going to say that uh, uh, that that plays on loop in my household. Um, it, it is uh, a top tier Christmas song. It, it is, uh... and well, with my wife being Hispanic as well. 
Um, it, 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 I'm, when I say it plays on loop, it could be playing on loop for three, four hours straight. Very familiar with that that intermission choice, John. Mate, I think there's there's maybe there's a difference between the joy of the song and maybe reaching the point of driving you nuts. Well, I always, I always try to use it as a challenge to out, um, outlast my nephews and niece um, when they're seeing it. And um, the second they're done with it is the second I'm done with it. And, and sometimes they last a, a, a good hour. Sometimes they will just sing it once and they're like, can we sing something else? <laughs> is that Jose Feliciano, by the way? I believe you are right. Where is, let me go find it. I have some odd music selections in the background here to make sure not to play them. Uh, as I was looking for, <laughs> as, as I was looking for options for this week's intermission music, uh, yeah, Jose Feliciano, correct? Yes. Okay, so fellas, now time for the NRL news and a little bit of signing stuff. Dearden has extended with the Cowboys. Has there been any details about the amount? That he's I think it's been speculated on. to be in the vicinity of a million dollars a year. That was the report right, I saw this morning. For five years, was it not, John? Yeah, for a five-year five mm. duration, yeah. Yeah. And big contract. It, it is a big contract. Uh, Clint, is he a million-dollar-a-year player? Clearly, he's a million-dollar-a-year player to the Cowboys because that's what they valued him at. I, I'd imagine that there would be some market pressure that's um, dictated that price. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, you'd have to speculate – um, despite the Broncos um, wanting to have uh, Adam Reynolds potentially play on for another season or maybe even two if his body holds up to it, obviously at a reduced rate, they would have um, absolutely made some inquiries and touch bases about him potentially coming back. Um, you know, it, it's no surprise um, the Dragons, and we'll, we'll touch on them a little bit later in this segment, um, were poking around as well. So, you know, in, um, and, and obviously with the Tigers and... Um, and Bulldogs uh, being in for Luai, you have those those inflationary market um, situations which can uh, raise the price of a player. You know, Tom was I, I, I imagine had um, no real desire to leave the Cowboys, but he would have he would have done so by ensuring he got the price or, or price he thought was fair. And um, obviously, he and the Cowboys settled on a million dollars a year, as as John touched on there. And um, you put it to me, I don't think he personally offers that value at present. Does he have the potential to be that value across the, um, the five years of his contract? For sure. As um, some more established players, um, uh, halves uh, retire and he becomes a more senior player himself. Um, absolutely. He's certainly got the pedigree to be one. Um, but, you know, um, it, there's, uh, the, 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 I guess, the um, going back to those um, market circumstances, there's also... Um, not that many good quality halves going around. So you, you imagine the, from the Cowboys' perspective, they, they saw a price that they thought was fair without completely breaking the bank that they were happy to pay, and that's what they did. You know, the other thing too is um, you just touched on it, and John, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. I think this basically spells out why it will be near impossible for the Eels to hold on to Ethan Sanders because you've got a marketplace full of ageing halves and not too many emerging halves coming through. And when you have Tom Dearden commanding a million dollars a season, 
and you've got, as I said, aging halves. Uh, you've got Daly Cherry Evans. You've you've got um, Adam Reynolds. You've got uh, Fogarty. You've got Sean Johnson. Um, I mean, the even Mitch Moses as well. And even though he's extended for multiple years, but you've got an aging group of halfbacks and not too many young players coming through, there's going to be some major inflation around the price that's going to have to be paid for halfbacks, just NRL quality halfbacks, not necessarily what you'd call star halfbacks. Mm. I think the inflationary issues with contracts extend beyond halfbacks. Um, mm. We're going to talk about Adam Fanua Blake shortly, but yeah, uh, Robson second rowers as it, well over the last couple it, of years. We're in a reality now, much like in real life, where cost of living is absurd. That the uh, the cost of contracts and, and free agency is starting to become ridiculous. But in terms of did, and uh, I mean, uh, you're you're as good as the market says you are in that regard, and and the, there's no way that the Cowboys pay him anywhere near a million if the Dragons aren't in the same vicinity. Um, if not, maybe a bit higher. So that's what it is. And the, the Cowboys, you know, much like how the Eels have had to absorb some big contracts for their star players, that's that's how it goes. I will say this about Deard, and um, I think there are some limitations to how he plays the game, but and in that regard, he's probably a little bit similar to Jerome Luai as a, a run-first uh, half, or 5'8", in, in a conventional sense. But uh, I suppose the difference being that Didden has had success in spite of his team, where the Cowboys have been both good and bad in the last two seasons, and Didden has shown flashes without a dominant halfback next to him, whereas Luai has been very much in the shadow of you know his three other core playmakers in obviously Cleary, but also Edwards and uh, Yo as well. Uh, so, look, he's probably played close to that contract value than I would argue Luai has, even though Luai's obviously been part of a repeating team. Still wouldn't be happy to pay it, but that's the reality of the NRL. And uh, he, he's certainly a player they can try to build around, but they're going to need to find a good game manager to partner up with him if they want to get the most out of that skill set. Now, you've touched on this as well with the market value for other positions, uh, but Adam Fanua Blake has now confirmed that he will be at the Sharks in 2025. What's the value on that contract, John? Uh, again, I think it was reported to be around a million dollars a season, um, which was, I think that's a, actually a bit of a saving compared to what the Dragons offer was, which was one one two five. I think, over four years. So a total of 4.5. And I think he's on a, essentially just a million a season at Cronulla. And Clint, do you see that strengthening the Sharks' premiership chances when he arrives? Um, maybe for a season or two. Um, you know, Adam Fanua Blake is is an aging forward as well. He's been around for a little bit, um, and you know, there's a lot of debate around um, when a prop's peak is and when they start to peter out these days. And rugby league is probably ever the better part of the last couple of years, um, particularly with some of the rule changes coming into place. Started to favour being more a young, fast man's game again. Um, and that's not to say that there isn't room for players that are, um, that are the other side of 30, certainly not, but it, but um, depending on how their body holds up and, and their playing style holds up, you know, they, they, they can deteriorate quickly. 
Um, I'm not necessarily suggesting that that will happen to Adam Fanua, Blake and the Sharks, but it is a risk that you have to manage in in, um, in taking that on and considering his position and um, and also his skill set at the price point that they paid for him. So, you know, um, I think for the first year or two, absolutely. But, you know, the, the Sharks should have a cautionary tale there with um, with Dale Finucane, who obviously Dale's been a very good player. He's, he's, he's played for his state. He's won premierships um, with the Melbourne Storm. Um, but, you know, there was a noticeable decline in his play over the course of this season. And obviously he's got a lot of um, history with concussion as well. Um, plus he he, um, he had a very stop-start year with suspension, a couple of suspensions in there too. Um, but, you know, they, they signed him on, on pretty decent money. And, you know, I think they've got a ratchet clause in there um, that the fourth year then activates a reduced deal um, for him. But, you know, they're still paying um, top market rate for him to play this season there. So, you know, he... It's it's a it's a swings and roundabouts type of thing where you have to you know weigh up um, the, what you need to do to get the deal over the line and potentially the the associated risks that come along with that and that you might have a player maybe earning a bit too much maybe a year or two longer than what you want but I think for the most part it certainly gives the sharks that I suppose alpha male forward that they were looking for quote unquote um, but geez they paid a lot of money to do it yeah. Uh, now, John, just moving on, because you also touched on this, Luai, he's been linked now to the Tigers. Well, it's it's actually being reported that he's agreed to terms with them, but we're still awaiting confirmation. Is is that getting any closer? Well, the man himself came out in socials and, and didn't uh, put the rubber stamp on the Tigers deal just yet, right? After the report came out that he'd signed the, a monster deal with the Tigers, he came out in socials and said, no, 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 I haven't signed with anyone just yet. Uh, so it's almost like canvassing a better offer from the Bulldogs in that regard. Um, but, yeah, I believe the, the reports are he's told the, the Panthers that he will depart the club, uh, subject to them potentially matching the offer with that calling-off period that's now in place in the NRL once again, uh, I guess. But, yeah, signs do point towards him joining the Tigers, although apparently the reports as of today is that the Canterbury are putting together a final offer. So it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. But you've got to think that, again, we've talked about various teams being in the box seat here, but the Tigers look to be uh, very close to the chequered flag. But can they see it over the line? The the other thing, too, is the media reporting on what was happening with Luai, the language that they were using in terms of I think failing to report to training mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. or you know, being strong. The the suggestion being that it was almost like an absent without leave from Panthers training. Do you think that's been the case, Clint, or is the media just playing that up? Like, you know, he's perhaps asked for a couple of days off so he hasn't been at training rather than being like almost an absent without leave scenario. Well, you know, at this time of year when there's only um... – you know, certain amounts of stories going around and everyone's sort of starting to wind down and close down um, for the, the holiday season. You know, you, you've got to milk your story for, for um, you know, a couple more stories along with it. And, you know, I would think it'd be nothing more than what you just um, stipulated there and that it is a, 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 a little bit of an exaggeration of a situation where he's probably said to his current employer, Penrith, need a couple of days off just to consider things is that all right with you? And I'm sure they said, no worries, all good, get it. 
Well, look, the Tigers continue to provide us with stories that obviously it's hard to top the big news from the previous week about their board stepping down. But, John, the Bloor and Olam swap, you're saying it's potentially back on again? On again, off again, like a shitty romance in a bad soap opera. Uh, this is the <laughs> rugby league story that has just carried through for so long now. Uh, and, yeah, the the player swap between Sean Bloor of the West Tigers and Justin Olam of the Melbourne Storm, uh, it, it has been reported for a long time and now it seems to be progressing once again. Um, I don't know if it's a matter of time to when it progresses, but uh, we've spoken about it in the past. I, I don't have huge reps on Sean Bloor. Uh, I think he sort of has coasted on that two-minute sort of running exchange of Nathan Brown from years ago uh, for a while here. But in saying that, uh, Justin Olam, if, if he's persona non grata, if he's not wanted by Craig Bellamy, whether it's due to a deterioration physically or anything else, geez, that's got to be setting off the klaxons and the red flags. Like The Melbourne Storm don't get rid of players like that that you know have something left in the tank, generally no. speaking. So if you're the Tigers, and I, I get that you want to see, I mean, they've got a young back line that would be good to have a nice senior presence, kind of like what, a, and I know that things played out poorly in the end, but kind of like what Michael Jennings brought to the Parramatta Eels back when we first acquired him. Um, so I can understand the, the fury behind that for the Tigers, but if the Melbourne Storm don't want him, why would you want him? Yeah, yeah. And especially now as well, when it looks like Clint that, Junior Tupo is going to go from the Tigers to the Dolphins. So they're, it's like, why are you letting go of potential young stars and bringing in someone that might have red flags? Now, I know there's different positions there, but they're both mm. backline players. You, you have I, to. I, yeah, look, I, I, I think to be fair to the Tigers in this instance, the. Um, the reason that this has come back up again is because because they were unable to retain Junior Tupo, so they've gone. All right, well let's let's rekindle the um, the Olin Bloor swap and and um, and see if we can get that going. Um, but yeah, you know, like it, it, uh, the the suggestion of losing Junior Tupo, he's, he's obviously a player of great potential. He's he had a lot of um, mixed performances throughout twenty twenty three, like as did many Tigers, but. Um, the game, uh, the Easter Monday game against us and the, the soul clash that um, we had with the Tigers this year, thanks again for the draw again, NRL. Um, Junior Tupu absolutely carved us up. I think he ran for um, something in the vicinity of 250 metres, made a couple of line breaks, and he looks threatening every cut to the ball. There's, so he, he's, a, he's a player with pedigree, and he's a player um, that fits that archetype of... Um, athletic but strong winger who can finish and under the right tutelage, um, under the right coaching and in the right system, I think he's someone that can become, um, you know, one of those household name outside backs if he and you also, to do the work for it. You also were impressed now with the build-up that the Dolphins have with regard to their back line for 2024. Yeah, well, look, if, if you consider that the likes of Avarillo and Farnsworth are already there, and, you know, um, I've been a, a, a big fan of Herbie long before it was popular to be one, I might add. I, mean, I remember seeing him in his first season of first grade and went, yeah, there's, there's something there. He's, he's someone that you want to you wanna get into your system early before you have to pay a lot of money to get him into your system. Um, he, he, you know, he, th- those are players who are very explosive um, Runners, very strong runners as well. 
you know. So obviously Avarillo and um has um blinding speed. You've got Farnworth who's certainly no slouch and um um moves um moves very, very well and um has a lot of strength as well. You got Junior Tupo who who's um as I said has got that pedigree to be that not necessarily explosively fast or as fast as maybe Farnsworth might be, but someone who, you know, you can turn around and go, well there's a winger who can uh, um give us 150 to 200 metres a game, finish a try, and on top of that, he's no slouch. Um, you know, uh, and of, of course, you've got the hammer there, and you decide whether you whether you want to play him at one or um, in the centres, and, you know, whichever one, uh, every choice you make there, obviously decides where one of Avarillo and Farnsworth goes as well. Like, there's, there's some very, very fast, explosive, um, dynamic ball runners um, going into that um, that dolphin setup and into the dolphins backline there, so you know, um, obviously they've they've got a little bit of work to do within um, their halves, um, but you know you you combine some of those outside backs with some of the forwards that they've also um, now got. Um, they're, they're they're building okay there, the dolphins. You know, it, one one shrewd investment in um, the right half. Or you know you you see the right you know, maybe maybe O'Sullivan and Katoa can go and um, Katoa in particular another couple of gears at NRL level they're starting to look okay. Okay, so um, quick yes no off you fellas. Dolphins play finals football in twenty twenty four. Clint. Ooh, look, you know I might spit in the face of everything I just said. I don't think they play. Um, finals football in 24, but that's be- that's not because I think they're necessarily a poor side. I just think there's a number of sides better than they are at present. Okay, John? Yeah, yes, no. I-, I think they're going to be in the, the log jam for spot six, seven, or eight, and are one of those mm-hmm. teams that pending results for and against or sort of like that key crucial head-to-head matchup at some point in the season might be able to sneak in. It's hard to see him as being a, anywhere near a contender. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that roster construction plays out because they, like Clint was saying, uh, haven't been able to land that marquee man in the spine despite trying desperately hard, like, for no fault of their own. Um, and and mm. then sort of almost built in reverse the way you conventionally want to build a roster. They've gone back to front, outside in, rather than, you know, from the, <laughs> from, from the you know, front to back, from the spine and out. Um, so they've got an, an incredible back line on paper and then they've got some decent pieces in the forward pack. Um, and I think that puts them in that range to be a top eight contender, but needing a little bit of luck to go their way to make the final. So I'll mm. I'll, I'll say yes, but on the provision that they're going to be the team that is luckier than the other teams to do it. Okay. I think regardless, they'll be a nuisance side. Oh, hundred percent. They're going to yeah. be an annoying team to play. I think that's I think that's where I'll be looking at them as uh, fringe finals football and nuisance team. Okay, now we going to talk about some players that we're not going to see um starting <laughs> off with junior Ramone, the toxic John. lump of coal yes uh krampus came early for junior and he's been on the podcast or featured on the podcast for the last couple of weeks um but you know well done to the nrl uh we we mm. were we were critical and we remain critical about the no fault stand down policy just because it spits out some inconsistencies that uh, well, aberrations in particular like this one here where a man has now been uh, deregistered. So he is no longer eligible to play in the NRL until the, he, that status is reviewed uh, pending the NRL's discretion. So he, he essentially cannot play NRL ever again pending an, uh, 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 an application to be reviewed. Uh, meanwhile, other players have been stood down while in the process of investigating. 
those sort of nuances, unfortunately, can can create weird inconsistencies. But yeah, I think it's the right decision. Uh, what he did with his father was uh, unhinged. So uh, I think this is the, the correct response, and I imagine he'll be subject to review in in maybe twelve months, where he can reapply pending good behaviour. But there's no guarantee he gets admitted back into the NRL after being deregistered. Yeah, yeah, you were nodding along there with that, Clint. Mm, absolutely, and you know, um, we we spoke about Adam Fanua Blake before. Obviously, this news here with um, Amone, um, it, it it paints a little bit of a bleak picture out St George Way at the moment, particularly when you see some of the, um, the clubs that have been around. Uh, I, I guess in that sort of bottom four space, like they've been in the in the um, in the Tigers and also uh, the Bulldogs. There's a lot of noise around um, the recruitment at um, those two respective clubs. And, um, you know, some of them have landed, some of them haven't. But um, the, the Dragons are kind of the, the one left standing after the music stopped. And they they miss out on their play. They've, they've now had one of their, um, their junior prospects that they've obviously nurtured through the system and had um, big plans for deregistered in his, um, his whole career in, in limbo at this point. You know, it's it's kind of a where to next for the Dragons. And obviously there's a couple of stories that have sort of um, been brewing in the media over the best part of the last week or so, um, sort of suggesting that as well. But I sort of want to put it to you guys. Um, you know, where, where, what's the state of St. George right now? Well, Clint, you've raised it. So let's just jump into the other piece of news, which I was going to mention, which is, the NRL doesn't look like it's going to see Jack Wellsby anytime soon because he's extended in the Super League with St. Helens. There'd been some strong talk about the Dragons targeting him through Shane Flanagan's approaches. Uh, we do know that the, the Eels had him marked down as a person, a player of interest uh, as well this year, but the, there was some strong mail. You've just mentioned that they've missed out on players. He's one of them. I guess this is an indication about where things are at for them as a club. When you're down the bottom, it gets harder for things to happen. I guess what they're going to be relying upon is their coach dragging them away from mm. the bottom of the table. If they can, if they can come out of 2024 seen as a club on the rise with and this is assuming that Shane Flanagan gets that aspect of his job done gets them on the rise then they become a more attractive prop destination club then you might start to see fortunes really changing in terms of them getting players that they are looking to recruit but to me I think they're going to have another year of heartache John I mean, it's a situation that we're intimately familiar with uh, with our time in the wilderness from, what, 2011 to the start of 2014 when Brad Arthur came in. When you're at rock bottom in the NRL or close enough to rock bottom, it is a very difficult place to climb out of. Um, you've got to offer significant overs to attract mediocre talent. If you want to be in the hunt for premium talent, you've got to offer crazy contracts. Uh, you, you're generally there because... Uh, they're being at the bottom because your pathways and your your development programs are nowhere near where they need to be, so you haven't got the internal talent coming in to rebuild. Uh, it, it is a monumental task to get back up there, and we've seen most recently the Newcastle Knights 
uh, be probably the, the best exponent of it where they just had a, a red-hot half of the season to get into the finals and, and make everything look really great. But prior to that, they were tracking towards another potential wooden spoon. Uh, they, they'd bought big uh, only to have no success for a number of seasons, including one of the most talented and highest-paid players in the competition in Kalen Ponga. It is so difficult when you're in that position. Uh, and these these are the ones that hurt when you miss out on the Adam Fennell Blakes, when you miss out on the Jack Wellsby's, uh, despite having you know hugely competitive offers on the table. And unfortunately for them, uh, they there's no clear path, is there? Like you said, 60s, you need Flanagan to almost will them towards being competitive in spite of themselves in season 2024 to then begin the process of appealing to the outside audience to say, yeah, we are a destination that is trending upwards. Come joining us. Uh, so yeah. it, it is so difficult and I don't envy that task. Uh, and it, it sort of speaks to the importance of being competitive, remaining competitive in the NRL. If you can remain a top eight contender, uh, you you know, you remain a, a viable destination for free agents. And, you know, it, it, it's huge in terms of being the difference between a spoon contender and, and not necessarily even a premiership contender, just being a top eight contender. So mm. yeah, it, it's going to be a tough task for them. They've missed out on, on key free agents. They've got internal issues of players getting deregistered with uh, talent not being realized. And, and, and this is after in the, you know, a couple of years ago, there was obviously the barbecue gate. And yep. you know, it, so col- it, there's cultural not, issues there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and players again, this, this is, this is night. all something like almost like you've put on repeat from stuff that's happened at Parramatta at the West mm. Tigers at Newcastle, any of these clubs that have been in the wilderness, like uh, the way they have and now the dragons have the, there's a reason why it's like the greatest hits of being a shit club. You know, they're, they're mm. put on repeat despite of or what color your jersey is or, you know, where you're located geographically. And unfortunately for the Dragons, they're, they're very much in the cellar. So, well, well, I was, was going to ask just to close um, out from my question, gents. I hope you don't mind me interrupting their 60s. But, you know, we, 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 we say that we, we see it being uh, another a year or two at least of pain for them. What would be success for Shane Flanagan in 2024 because to me I look if they could finish either like ninth, 10th or maybe even 11th and show some fight but maybe not obviously you wouldn't have a winning record finishing one of those positions or maybe a 50-50 record at best would that be enough to to spur the fire underneath and, and give them a little bit more leverage in the player market? Well it, it's interesting you've come in with that because I was just about to throw to you or, to both of you for a one word answer for next year, pain or promise um, <laughs> for promise. I think they have to fit in that bracket that you said nine, 10th or 11th plus, plus maybe a couple of significant victories over strong teams. Mm-hmm. So if they get, if they get that just below the top eight and a couple of significant victories, then we're talking promise my tip is 24 is pain. John? Yeah, I, I agree. It, it is hard to see them climbing out of the well right now. Um, and it feels like they, they desperately need at least one lightning rod signing to begin the rebuild. But again, it's the chicken and the egg situation. You need to show signs of, of uh, being mm. better to get that lightning rod signing. Um, look, Flanagan is a, is a hard taskmaster. I think they'll play better under him. Um, but... Is it enough? I don't know. I, I lean towards no. Yeah, I, I, I reckon, gents, that um, 
not only is it going to be pain, but um, if they don't have um, maybe within their first six to eight weeks of the competition, and I'm not sure who it is that they play, but um, you know, if they can get one type of victory against one of those stronger sides that you sort of um, um, suggested their 60s, if that doesn't happen, I think the rumblings of um, both Ben Hunt and possibly Zach Lomax wanting to seek greener pastures suddenly becomes noise again. Yeah, yeah. You can you can just feel that it's going to be pressure on. Look, I think maybe what you might see from a Flanagan coach team is St. George in the last few years have been renowned for doing things on the field that make no sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like you just look at the what the players do and you'll go, what they do that for? Or how did they butcher that? Mm. Maybe we might see less of that. But anyway, we we now for the final player that doesn't look like we're going to see in the NRL next year or maybe ever again is Corey Hawira Naira, who mm. is now tipped to retire, John. Yeah, just an unfortunate situation. Um, he, he had a head knock midway through the season, I believe, in 2023, uh, which looked very innocent in the context of the game um, and led to him in the later in the shortly after in that game, having seizures, uh, which then saw him not play for the remainder of the season, which now spiraled into uh, what looks to be a career ending injury. Uh, but it, it is very difficult to see him coming back. And I think the indications are he will retire because I believe there are still ongoing seizures or ongoing complications with that. And yeah, it sucks. However, in our was a, a very, very talented player Shone in a very ordinary Bulldogs team, went to the Raiders, was a big part of their team there. Um, a player that we would have, uh, we, we've been on record saying 60s, we wouldn't have minded seeing coming to the Eels uh, in those those windows where he made those transfers. And yeah, it, it is just awful to see a career end this way. And all we can hope is that these ongoing complications can be cleared up and he can resume uh, what you know amounts to a, a normal life outside of football. Yeah, I think we could really wrap that part up by just saying we wish him all the best. 100%. 100%. Because, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of life left after football. So, um, yeah, just take care of that aspect, Corey. Finally, fellas, the New South Wales Rugby League has released the draws for lower grades and junior reps. I don't know how much time you've had to digest it, fellas, but I've looked at it and... It's it feels strange the um, some of the draws the jersey flag I think again just a, I feel sorry for them with how their draw goes they've got they start the year off with old batch over at New Era at Cabramatta then they have a I think they have a stretch where they're nowhere near at home and then they've got matches then over at Granville Park. Um, I'm not sure why they couldn't be at Granville Park, uh, Eric Tweedle Stadium all the way through, but that's how that is. Junior reps on first look, there's some interesting days that they're mm. on. Like they're not all necessarily Saturday morning or early Saturday afternoon. I think in the Tashagar, there might be a Thursday night game, and I think there's a Sunday game or two. It just it feels like it's a little bit all over the place. Uh, have you have you had a chance to do a dive into it at all, Clint? Yeah, I, I, I had a look through 
through um, most of the grades and um, yeah, uh, to that Sunday game, I think I think um, Mats and Ball kick off their season on the Sunday, um, and um, they're um, they're playing most of their games at um, Eric Tweedle, um, obviously because Kellyville is out of commission as the Centre of Excellence build takes place. Um, but one thing that is particular uh, particularly noteworthy from um, the junior reps draws, um, no games against uh, Penrith. Um, you know, obviously, the, um, the there's a fierce rivalry that exists within um, the junior reps between um, Parramatta and Penrith that we obviously see um, goes up the grades all the way through to NRL. Um, but, yeah, um, uh, this is the first time in, jeez, uh, I think I can recall ever um, that they're, they're not playing Penrith. Likewise, um, there's... Um, uh, um, not as many. I'll tell you one thing. I I should say, um, is, uh, Dad has mentioned he's a lot happier that there isn't as many road trips. <laughs> he's um he's very much looking forward to the fact that um he he doesn't have to um be jumping from one um you know uh, one side of the M1 um uh, one week going and, and having to go down the Hume Highway the next week. I think it's just a, a one trip to um, Wyong followed by a a, a week down. Um, Victoria the week following. That's really the um, the strenuous travel. O- outside of that, it's all pretty par for course. But um, uh, I, I think they've got a match. At, draw. Have, they, have they got a match at Wollongong as well? They do. They uh, that's following a bye week. Um, uh, uh, obviously, that's against the Steelers. Um, and then um, and then I think um, prior to the bye, they've also got a, a round two game against Cronulla. Um, so uh, a little bit of driving there, but you know you're, you're not breaking the 90 minute barrier as you will you know, as you are with some of those um, those other options or having to take a plane in the case of um, Melbourne trip. But um, I, I, I will say, gents, I was a lot happier looking at the New South Wales Cup draw, seeing that we've got a lot more. Um, it so, appeared at least in the first half, um, yeah. uh, a lot more curtain raises. Yes, yeah, there's certainly the first half of the season. There's a lot of curtain raises that are there. Um, the the Tasha Gale have got a strange draw. I don't think they, I don't think they have their first home game till about round five, something like that. And then they yeah, that's bizarre. Then they then it's all then it's at home every week. Even I think they've even got an away game which is scheduled for Eric Tweedle Stadium as well. So I don't oh, know. Oh yes, figure that out. Academy. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Go. Go figure that out. But uh, anyway, I'm sure at some stage, John or our good mate Ham uh, might sit down and do a table of matches per round that uh, we can cross-reference about where we would ideally like to be on a given day and um, trying to cover as many of these (laughs) games as we possibly can. It just feels like every year it's an onerous task trying to get out and and watch football when there's so many different venues that it's at. John, yeah. have you got comments you want to make? No, I've only had a very cursory look at it. I think the the big thing for the New South Wales Cup is I think there's one or two televised games for the people that can't get out there. So it's, we're not big on the uh, uh, schedule there for pay TV televised uh, New South Wales Cup games, which means, of course, you can catch that most of those games on TCT, which is the silver lining. Um, but yeah, in terms of the junior reps, I, it is hard to sort of 
commit to getting a schedule down pat, boys, in regards to the junior reps, because a lot of his stuff is also subject to change. Uh, it gets moved around, you know, as we get close to the season or, you know, even sometimes a week or two before the game. Uh, but we'll have to do that sort of pass through and see how things line up at some point. And uh, maybe there'll be some, you know, good triple or quadruple headers uh, there to get out to. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> like I said, 60s, it feel bad for the flag. They're almost the they're mm. almost always the uh, redheaded stepchild of the uh, schedule, and unfortunately for for the Eels now, without the proper home for them, it makes things worse. Uh, but a bit surprised they're not located out of Eric Tweedle, uh, like the yes. RLW. But I I guess there's too many you can't put too many resources or too many teams into one facility like that that isn't as you know a, a proper full capacity stadium. So they'll be one of the probably, if not the single biggest beneficiary of the high performance center being completed, and they can finally you know move into their Kellyville home in the future. Yeah, I did hear a bit of a whisper that the um, an early incarnation of the draw had them featuring a lot more at Eric Tweedle rather than New Era Stadium. But um, yeah, as you said, it's they're only a a short time away now from being able to be based up at Kellyville. The centre of excellence construction has been slated to finish around January, February in 2025. So that leaves room for lower grades to play there. And maybe, just maybe, they get the junior reps in there almost straight away. So that would be good if that was possible. And I guess even uh, if they uh, have that community centre and grandstand finished so they can utilise that particular field, even if the centre of excellence itself isn't quite finished, if they've got their other component finished and they can play the matches there, that would be great. But anyway, we'll see because I'm sure that Weather conditions and the building industry will have a lot to do <laughs> with when completion rate uh, completion date is finalised. Okay. okay, fellas. Well, that basically brings us to the end of the podcast, news podcast. I guess we're going to be taking a break unless something crops up between Christmas and New Year. Otherwise... On behalf of the Cumberland Throw, again, I just want to wish all of our listeners the best for this Christmas and holiday period. Hope it's a, a fantastic one for you all. Thanks also to our great sponsors in Big Swing Golf at North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. And don't forget the great Aussie Boot Swap thanks to the the wonderful supporters of Junior Rugby League in the Parramatta District, Parramatta Leagues Club and the Eels, uh, that that is taking place. Don't forget that's late January that you can, uh, that the day will be organised, but any time up till then you can get to Paraleagues, Dural Country Club or Vikings to drop off any boots that your kids have grown, outgrown and be ready to do the swap for uh, an larger size boot come late January. So again, fellas, thank you for today. Merry Christmas to both of you. Happy New Year if I don't get to speak to you 
before then. And as I always say, go you mighty eels.